0: Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse number 11 this evening and read down through verse number 17. Once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 down through verse number 17. The Bible says there, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail Of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Uh, this is the second week looking at this title here. Hopefully we'll finish the Bible study this evening, but the title of it is this, A Proper Perspective on Punishment. Not a doctrine that gets taught on or preached about much, but God punishes those who are his children. It's important that we understand that, that we are able to identify what it's being done in our life and know exactly why God does it. Let's pray this evening. Lord, help us to understand uh, the passage. It's a joy to get to go verse by verse through the Bible, and Lord, we're going through the book of 1 John on Sunday evenings, and I know that book has been a big help uh, to the church and to me personally, Lord, I believe the book of Hebrews has been a big help to the church as well, and Lord, we know when we cover the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, that we can never go wrong, and so Lord, help me to preach not only uh, the what's here in the passage, but to preach it with the right spirit with the right tone and with the right emphasis. And Lord, uh, if I preach a good sermon but no one is listening or it's in one ear not the other, uh, Lord, then it doesn't help uh, anyone. Lord, I know your word will not return void. Help all of us to come in with a listening ear. And Lord, may your word sink down into our heart and help make us into the image of your son. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, going back to Hebrews chapter number twelve, and verse number one, uh, from verse one down through verse four, we looked at God's plan. God's plan that was point one. And let's read verse one down through verse four. We see God's plan. It says, "Wherefore, seeing we also we also are compassed about with a uh, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us." Why are we setting aside the weight? And the sin, why are we setting aside distractions and evil deeds? It, 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 the rest of verse 1 tells us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Why? Because God has a race that he wants us to run. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him speaking of Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin so what is God's plan God's plan is that you run your race with patience that you run it with patience uh, uh, what's the what's the saying here I've used many times. Christianity is not measured in years, but in decades. In decades. You're faithful year after year, decade after decade, decade after decade. And you get to the end of your life the way Paul did. And you can say, I have, as he said in 2 Timothy 3, I have run my race. I have finished the course. I have earned the crown. And that is the goal, is that we know God's plan, and we run our race. We set aside uh, uh, weights, we set aside sin, we garner and gather encouragement, both from above and here on earth at church, and we run our race. And if you get discouraged and think that it's too much, you turn your eyes to Jesus, and you realize that he ran his race and finished it, and he's waiting at the finish line, with his arms out open, his nail-pierced hands, and he's encouraging you To run yours as well. So what is God's plan? That we run our race. And so then we turn our attention to verses 5 through 8. And we notice number 2. Our punishment. Our punishment. God at times has to give us a little kick in the seat to get us back in line. Uh, We need a little correction. We need some chiding. We need some rebuking. Because we want to get off track. We don't want to do what's right. Look at verse 5 with me here. It says... And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And here he's going to reference Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That is almost word for word out of Proverbs chapter 3. He's saying you all have forgotten that it is the Lord's duty to punish you, to chastise you, and even to go as far as Scourging you. One of the things we looked at last week in looking at these verses and looking back at the words is that sometimes the word chastise can mean nurture. And other times the word chastise can mean to scourge, to scourge. Sometimes the chastise means you come alongside of and you correct with a kind, careful lecture. Other times you come along with a, with a belt or a rod and you you, you, you spank the behind. You injure the posterior. Why? For the purpose of getting them in line. Depending on the situation, God knows exactly the severity of which to chasten us in order to bring us back in line. And here it says that if you are a child of God, you can expect at some point that you will be punished. It, it, it is it is a cause and effect thing. To be God's child is at some point or another to be reprimanded, to be punished, to be scourged. And you ought to take comfort in that. Look down at verse number 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? By default, are you getting this out of verse 7? By default, if you are a son, you will be punished if you have an active father in your life. An active father punishes his children, corrects his children. And if you want to call yourself the child of God and expect no punishment, then God would not actually be your father. Or he would just be flat out neglecting his role. Look at verse 8. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers... Then are ye bastards and not sons. We looked at that word bastards last week, and we talked about how that is a strong word. And it's really a word that I believe would be labeled a, a curse word if you used out of context. I don't recommend you walk around calling people that and using that word. But the Bible word bastard has the old traditional meaning to it of a child who's born out of wedlock, who's being raised by his mother and not his father. This is a child who has no relationship with dad. No relationship with dad. And if you don't have a relationship with dad, then probably, probably you're not getting punished like you ought to. I'll just speak to this really quick and we'll move on. I don't want to dwell a long time on number two. But can I tell you that my kids get away with a lot more with Angela than they do with me? Can I tell you something else? When I was a child, I got away with a lot more with my mom than I did my dad. I can remember being 10, 11, 12 years old, and I would start to get into a little bit of an argument with my mom. And um, I uh, I was walking that line of of stating my case and then just going overboard with it. And I can remember my dad would be on the other side of the house, and we would keep the volume low enough where dad couldn't hear. Because we knew that as long as dad didn't hear, then we could could get away with a little bit more. But as soon as dad heard, he would speak up and he would say, Sherry, are the kids arguing with you? And we would cringe and the back of our legs would tighten up, and we would hope she would say, no, they're not. Because if she said, yes, they are, oh, we were immediately in trouble. Dad didn't let us argue with Mom. If Dad caught us, we were in big trouble. Why? Because Dad is meant to be the authoritarian in the house. Dad is meant to be the authoritarian in the house. Now, watch God's order here. I don't want to get off into the home too much here. I'll just say this and we'll move on. Watch the order here. God made the man to have a deeper voice, to be more authoritative in his voice, he is meant to be the one who is the rule enforcer in the home. Now, the wife also is to enforce the rules, but she's meant to be more of the nurturer in the home. Do dads nurture their children? Yes, but not as well as the mothers. Do mothers punish and enforce the rules on the children? Yes, but it shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to do it as well as the dads. We live in a day and age where our society's got us all turned around and backwards. Dad's nurture and mom's punish. If that's the structure in your home and you have small children at home, let me just encourage you to get that thing turned around. Dad ought to be in charge. Boy, I told Angela a long time ago, if one of our children need to be uh, punished, need to be spanked, I'll do that. You don't need to do that. Now, when they were little, it was different. Now that they've gotten a little older, you let me handle that. I'm the Father. I'm supposed to be the disciplinarian. And back to the point of the passage here this evening, God is our Father. Does that mean that He loves us? Yes. Does that mean that His nature is to nurture us and... Care for us? Yes. Ephesians 6, four. fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice the two tools in the toolbox of the father. It is to nurture and it is to admonish or punish. You are to nurture when appropriate and admonish when appropriate. And no one has that balance better figured out than God our Father. Many, many people think that God hates them because he punishes them. The contrary is true. If God never punishes you, then he hates you. Boy, I would wonder about a God who never punishes me. I would wonder if he actually loved me. We lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi uh, when I was a small child up to the 7th grade. And I remember one night the phone rang in our house. I was probably a 4th or 5th grade boy. My dad answered the phone. It was right around my bedtime, so probably about 9 o'clock. And I know my dad hung up the house phone and he went to his room and he changed real quick and out the door he ran and he said, There's an emergency with one of the high school boys and I have to rush to the hospital. And he got to the hospital and he ran into the into the room and i wasn 't there for this part, but as it was accounted back to me, my father standing by this uh, uh, this high school boy 's bed now, please understand, this boy uh, had it all together, and my dad had found out this boy had tried to commit suicide He tried to commit suicide, just a high school boy and My dad sat by his bedside and said, Son, what were you doing? What were you thinking? You, you have it all going for you. You, you make good grades in school and you are dating the, the, the cheerleader, you know, one of the cheerleader girls that, one of the most popular girls in the school and, um, no doubt one of the prettiest girls in the school and you're the captain of the football team and you're the captain of the basketball team and you're the, you're the center of the, the high school boys. All the high school boys like you and you're, you're close to graduating. Why would you try to take your life you have it all going for you and he looked at my dad with a tear in his eye and he said i just don't think my parents love me he said what do you mean your parents don't love you they they pay for you to go to a christian school and they're paying your full tuition and 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 they take you to church what do you mean they don't love you he said my parents have never one time told me no to anything in my life he said as a high school boy if i want to go out and have a party I can go out and party. He said, I don't drink, but if I wanted to drink, they'd never ask me about it. He said, if I want to come home at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, if I want to stay out all night, they, they, they just don't enforce any curfew on me, any rules. He said, they don't love me because they don't love me enough to actually hold me accountable. Aren't you glad you have a God that holds you accountable? You're a parent in here this evening. Let me encourage you hold your children accountable. If you don't, they won't respect you. A parent who doesn't enforce the rules evenly with their child is a parent who's not respected by that child. I promise you they don't respect you. I have a deep reverence for God because God is God's not afraid to punish me when I step out of line. And he's done it many, many, many times. Let me ask you a question this evening. This is a gut check on whether or not you're saved. Do you know when God punishes you? Do you you know when he is punishing you? Are you able to even recognize it? I know um, when I'm getting punished by God, sometimes my attitude is, well, God, why are you letting this in my life? Hey, why is this happening? And then in the still, small voice, quietness of my devotions, my prayer time, boy, God begins to rebuke me over sin, and it becomes apparent I'm being, quote-unquote, spanked for my wrongdoing. Our punishment. Number three, notice God's purpose. God's purpose you have a prayer bulletin there, I encourage you to fill in the blanks. We'll be going over three and four this evening. God's purpose. Look at verse number nine with me of Hebrews chapter number 12. It says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subject unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But he, God, our Father, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening of the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God's purpose. Notice letter A, he earns our reverence. He earns our reverence. Look at verse number 9 again of Hebrews chapter number 12. Verse number 9 says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? A while back, I read a a blog post put out by a a pastor. He's not a Baptist pastor, and honestly, I don't even remember who he is or where where his church is. But uh, in, in essence, what his blog post said was, My church never really began to grow until I learned to be confrontational. He said, when I first took the pastorate, I was afraid of confronting anybody over anything. Someone would ask me if they... Could do something or have an event, uh, and, and there'd be a schedule conflict. And I didn't know how to step up and tell someone no. I I was afraid of hurting people's feelings. I I was afraid of, of of tipping over the apple cart with people's emotions. And what I found is that by lack of confrontation, watch this now. By lack of confrontation, what ended up happening is the church began to be filled with compromise, and standards were not being met, and strife began to set in because I I would not step up. I would not hold uh, uh, people accountable. I would not confront someone that was wrong. And I found uh, the same thing to be true at home. If I turn a blind eye to a character flaw in my child, and I don't want to upset them emotionally, I don't want to cause a problem emotionally, if I turn a blind eye and just say, you know, I'm, not, I'm tired, I don't want to deal with it, and I let it slide, what I find is that I'm allowing compromise to set into my home, and I'm allowing my child's respect for me and my rules to go down. But when I step up and I call out the wrongdoing, I confront. And There's wisdom and discretion needed here. But as I confront and I come through with a punishment, you know what I find? I find that everyone around me respects me greater. Respects me greater. Every now and then, I, I'll, I'll need to punish one of my children. Praise God, they've both gotten to a place where they're pretty well behaved. I ask them to do something, both of them just go do it right away. I don't have, usually, I don't have to ask them twice. It hasn't always been that way. Well, it was a long battle to get there. But we've made it there. And I really only have to distribute punishment, administrate punishment occasionally. But can I tell you what ends up happening is one of my two children... Uh, there will be a bunch of little fowls in the house. A little fowls in the house. And they gather up. And the spirit's getting more boisterous. And there's a little bit more talking back. And a little bit more talking back. And they're edging the line. And they're edging the line. And they're edging the line. And all of a sudden, dad comes down and boom, he punishes. And can I tell you what happens after I punish? The spirit of that child is fixed. You know why? Reverence in the house has been restored. Reverence in the house has been restored. When God punishes us, we reverence Him. Because we know that He is an enforcer of His own rules. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 24 with me. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament there, one of the major prophets. You know the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet? The major prophets were taller than the minor prophets. That is not true. Amen. The major prophets were more Uh, long-winded. That's really the only difference. Jeremiah chapter 10, and look with me at verse number 24. The Bible says, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. God is so powerful that if he were to fully punish us in his hot anger we would be nothing you know the bible says that he measures the universe with a span you know what span is that right there the measurement between your pinky and your thumb with your hand fully stretched out that is a span he measures the universe with a span you teach what the universe looks like in your science class right tom Can you imagine a hand big enough to do that right there and bring it all in? That's a big God. Here we are, this little pipsqueak nothing. He can reach down and just, whoa! There we go, flying into oblivion. You know, God punishes us in a way that is equivalent to what we need. And in so doing, he earns our reverence. Turn over to Psalm chapter 89 and verse number 7 with me. Psalm is right in the middle of your Bible. The Bible says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Greatly to be feared. Many of you in here had a great relationship with a dad growing up. Some of you did not. Um, But I think everyone in here, whether or not you had a good relationship with your dad growing up, you've seen other people who did have a good relationship with a dad growing up. And uh, I know uh, for Angela, uh, she had a relationship with her dad, but her dad wasn't living at home. And uh, it was a, um, a broken home type setup. But can I tell you something about my mom-in-law? She had the ability to kind of act like a father when it came to being an enforcer of the rules. I mean, she could be fierce. Right, Angela? She could be fierce. She's a sweet woman. But you don't want to cross her. Listen, after I married Angela, I learned not to cross. Don't cross a Latin woman. Don't ever cross a Latin woman. Amen, Carlos? Have you learned that? Amen. And you're married to what? I'm sure she's a sweetheart. Oh, she's European. Okay. Your mom's a Latin woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, saw saw what she did to your dad. Amen. Okay, we can have uh, we can have we we'll all sit in a circle and and talk later if you want. But, but um, no, but um, um, that idea of someone who is feared, someone who's listen, you do what's right because there's a part of you that's afraid of them. You're afraid of them, and I've talked about this in church, but. When dad would come home 90% of the time and I was down on my bicycle at the end of Brook Lane Street in Hattiesburg playing, 90% of the time when he came home, I hopped on my bicycle and I rode toward the car. Because I was thrilled to see him. But there was that other 10% of the time that I had misbehaved and when he came home, I drove the opposite direction from him. Because I was afraid of him. Then I grew up to, to an age, I remember my dad gave me a job and he had asked me to, to uh, clean up some lawn clippings with a rake and a wheelbarrow, and, and I got playing, and I didn't get it done, and, and he came out about dusk and saw that it hadn't been done, and he called me in the house, and I remember that loud, booming male voice calling me in, and I was probably 12 years old. I could take you right to the place where I was standing, there at the uh, the back where the laundry room area was, and he looked at me, and, and he's lording over the top of me, and he says, he says, you didn't get the grass clippings cleaned up, and I'm, My legs are tremoring, and I'm I'm fearful. And I said, no, sir. And the next thing I thought he was going to say is, go to your room. You're about to get whipped, about to get spanked. I think the paddle was lost. He was using a belt at that time. He didn't do that. He, He just dropped his shoulders, and he put his head down, and he said, son, I'm disappointed in you. I would have rather been spanked than to hear my dad was disappointed in me. You know, what had happened was... Because my dad enforced the rules, and he balanced that with loving me, watch this now, it went from me being afraid of hurting him, to now I was afraid, rather me being afraid of him hurting me, to where I was afraid of hurting him. I let him down. Do you revere God? I want to just ask all of you a question tonight. Many Christians sin and they're callous in their sin. Just a habit in their life. Yeah, my tongue gets the best of me sometimes, I can't help it. I'm Irish. Or I'm German. Or I'm Latin. Or I'm Italian. Does it bother you that you hurt the heart of God? Do you really revere God? See, when He punishes us, He earns our reverence. Letter B, notice. We engage In His holiness. We engage in His holiness. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse number 10. And again, the analogy here is being used between a father and son. Right? That's the earthly example that we have right in front of us. Look here at that being tied into the heavenly example. Verse 10. For they verily, speaking of earthly fathers, they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But He, God... He, Abba, He, our Father, our Heavenly Father, for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. What is that saying there? Listen, it's saying that earthly fathers sometimes have impure motives in punishing. Sometimes as a dad I punish because I'm just frustrated with my child or I'm frustrated with an employee or I'm frustrated with whatever I oversee and I'll, I'll punish because I'm, I'm irritated and it brings me pleasure to cease that irritation. God never punishes us for his pleasure. He punishes us for our profit, our profit. What's he trying to do? He's trying to bring out the the maladies, bring out the impurities, bring out the sin, and push us toward holiness. Every time he punishes us, it's for our betterment. Now, listen, is it fun being punished? No. No, it's not. Does anybody look forward to having God rain down punishment on them? No. How does God punish us? I can think of three ways up front that God punishes us. He touches our health. He touches our wealth. Watch the third one, because I think this one hurts the most. He can touch our relationships. He can touch our relationships. Listen now. If the majority of the relationships in your life are strained... It's probably not everyone else. It's probably you. It could be that God's trying to get your attention. Now, why does God punish us? Punish us, because He's trying to weed out the sin and make us holy, holy. Look back at verse number. Uh, look, look back at verse number ten there. Look at the end of the verse, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Of his holiness. This year, Matthew and I are um, playing fantasy football together. He and I are on the same team. He comes to me today and he says, "Dad, Dad, we got some players that uh, are, aren't going to be playing next week, and and we need to we need to get in the draft room. We need to pick pick up some players." You know why Matthew's into that? Because his dad's into it. Uh, we're hoping next year to get in the car and drive to Baltimore and go to a Baltimore Orioles game. Live and in person. You know why Matthew's a Baltimore Orioles fan? It's not because they're any good, because they're not. Matthew's an Orioles fan because his dad is an Orioles fan. Matthew looks up to his dad, and Matthew wants to take on the characteristics of his dad. Now listen, listen now. If we love God, our father, then we ought to want to take on the characteristics of our father. What is the number one defining characteristic of God the Father? He's holy. He's holy. Take a minute and think about what it means to be holy. It means to be without sin. It means to be mature in Christ. When I think of that word holy, you know what I think of? I think of God sitting on his throne in heaven. And the seraphims and cherubims angels flying around the throne. The four beasts and the 24 elders sitting around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I think of a God who is sinless and perfect and mature and discerning and wise and powerful. God says, I punish you because I'm trying to weed out the impurities that are in your life and make you holy. That is always my intent. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 32 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I hope the Bible study is helping you tonight. 1 Corinthians 11, look at Verse 32. It says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. One day God's going to judge this world that is unholy. God is chasing us so we won't be like the world. He wants us to be holy. Let's turn over to a more familiar passage, John chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 15. Turn over there with me if you would. I appreciate you being engaged this evening. I know it's Wednesday. Most of you have been working all day. You're tired. (laughs) Stay awake on me here. John 15, look at verse number 1. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean. Look at here, verse 3. Verse 3 is what I want to really get your attention on. You're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You see, as God is pruning us and purging us, He does that through a chastisement per, per, uh, uh, through a chastisement process. Is it fun for a tree to have its branches cut off? I had a job as a teenager where I was uh, helping to prune trees, and I remember standing there with those shears, and I remember cutting off a, 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 a twig or a branch, and I remember thinking, if this had a tree had nerve endings, it would be saying, "Ouch!" <laughs> God's trying to cut sin out of your life. He's trying to take that sin habit away. He's trying to get you back to behaving the way you ought to behave, and it hurts, and you go, "Ouch!" Stop it, Lord. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to take his word and he's trying to purify you. He's trying to cleanse you. God does not lose his temper on us and just punish us out of hot wrath and anger uh, just to hurt us. No, God only punishes us to the place where he can make us holy. He wants us to revere him. He wants to earn that reverence. He wants us to engage in his holiness. Let her see. Notice, looking at God's purpose, notice, we exercise the fruits of righteousness. We exercise the fruits of righteousness. Now, don't lose your place in John 15, because we're going to come right back to it. But go back to Hebrews chapter 12, and look back at verse number 11 there. It says, "...now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness." Unto them which are exercised thereby. Are you getting the image here? That as God cleans us up, as He purges us, purges us, as He uh, as He engages us in His holiness, the direct byproduct is that the fruits of righteousness begin to be displayed in our life. Turn over to back over to John chapter fifteen and look at verse number two. Look at verse number 2. It says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth or punisheth or chastiseth or scourgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. What is the end game? Why does God Punish us, punish us. Why does God at times allow hurt to come into our life? He's doing it because He wants us to produce even more fruit. He's trying to turn us into a, a, a Christian that produces more fruit. Look down at verse number 5. I am the vine, You are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That fits in with my message Sunday evening. Herein is my Father glorified, look here, that ye bear much Fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So shall ye be my children. So shall ye be in my image. Why? Because we're bearing fruit. What does that practically look like? Well, I can tell you for me what it looks like. I am an impatient person. I want things done now. I get into a drive thru at a at a fast food restaurant and man if if I have to wait more than just a couple of minutes, I can feel my blood start to boil. When I was a boy, my favorite color was blue, but now that I'm a driving adult, my favorite color is green. Amen? I hate the color red. Why? Because I have to stop on red, and I get to go on green. And if I'm sitting at a red light and it's red for longer than I think it ought to be, I can feel my left foot over there begin to tap. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. i got places to go! I get coming down James Farm Road here on my way to church and I get behind someone that's going maybe the speed limit or a little below. And I'm like, oh, will you get out of the way? How do I know that the fruit of righteousness is at work in my life? If I'm able to be patient when I would normally be impatient. How do I know the fruit of righteousness is at work in my life? When someone is pressing me and pushing me and being rude to me and being nasty toward me or being unkind toward someone in my family and I find it in my heart to forgive them and love them anyway. Boy, the fruit of righteousness can only be prevalent in the life of someone who responds positively to the punishing hand of God. How do you know if you're responding well when God punishes you? Boy, these fruits of righteousness begin to pop up in your life. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance is laid out in Galatians chapter number 5, 22 and 23. God's purpose. Why does God punish us? He has an end game. He has an end game. His Purpose in punishing us is not to hurt us. Let me say that again. Listen. God does not punish us because he wants to hurt us. Sometimes pain is necessary. He's not trying to hurt us. How many of ever had a parent say to you, this is going to hurt you far more than it hurts me? Or rather, I think it's the other way around, isn't it? See, I was just making sure you're awake. It's going to hurt me far more than it hurts you. Can I tell you that it honestly does hurt God more than it hurts us? He doesn't like to see his children go through pain. That's why he never turns turns up the heat any more than he has to. His purpose is he wants to earn our reverence. He wants to engage us in his holiness. And he wants us to exercise the fruit of righteousness. Now, the choice on how we respond is up to us. Number four. Point number four. Notice our path. Our path. Now, after he tells us to run our race, after he tells us he'll punish us to help us run our race, and after he lays out his purpose that he wants to accomplish in punishing us, he then turns and gives us an illustration from the Old Testament on those who respond correctly and those who respond incorrectly. Let's look at verse number 12 and read down through verse 17. This is the passage we'll be in the rest of the evening. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. By the way, notice that word, wherefore. That That is saying that this next thought is going to build on the thought of chast- ch- chastisement. So you have the foundation of chastisement with that in mind, with that as the thought, with that as the philosophy, with that as the teaching. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Notice letter A, some follow. Some follow. And the reason why I'm highlighting this one first is because it's first here in the Scriptures. Some follow. Listen, some respond properly when they're punished. When I finished punishing Matthew in April, they had tears coming down their cheeks. Boy, I've gone in and I've explained to them very carefully what they did wrong. I've asked them to admit it out loud. I've administrated the punishment. I've drawn tears. I get down on my knees with them. They pray, I pray, and the last thing that happens is we hug and we exchange I love you's. It's powerful. You know what I'm fearful of? I'm fearful of a day that after we go through that whole process... My children don't want to tell me they love me. Fearful of a day where my children look at me and say, No, Dad, I don't appreciate what you did. Don't tell me you love me. Because right now, I just don't feel like I love you. Many Christians, when God punishes them, they don't follow. God wants us to follow his plan for our life. Notice below some follow. Notice this. They're... Conditioning, they're conditioning. Look at verse number 12. Look here. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. You know what that's talking about there? That's talking about hitting the spiritual gym. Hitting the spiritual gym. Gym, they're being conditioned. They have hands that hang down. They have feeble knees. That means that their spiritual body is weak. They need to go through spiritual, physical Therapy. I guess that would be spiritual therapy, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be physical therapy, it would be spiritual therapy. But they're going through spiritual Quote unquote, physical therapy. They're being put through the ringer to be made to advance. I know that when I go to a rehabilitation center to visit some of our senior citizens that have been through a surgery and they're not able to walk, they take them and the goal that day may just be for them to get out of bed and stand up and then lay back down. And then the next day it might be to get up and, and lay back down a couple of times. Then within a week it's to take two or three steps. What are they doing? They're conditioning them to be able to lift up the hands that down and their feeble knees. And God says, the reason why I punish you is because I'm trying to strengthen you spiritually. I'm trying to take you to the spiritual gym and I'm trying to build up your faith. I'm trying to make you strong in the faith. Some, uh, their conditioning notice next their self correction, their self correction. Look at verse number 13 and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. Notice the progression here. As I grow in the Lord, I began to notice when I'm getting off the path. You know, it's a happy day when my children mess up, and they come to me and they say, Dad, I don't need you to correct me. I'm correcting myself. Dad, I know last week my schedule was out of balance, and that caused me to make a bad grade here. And Dad, this week, this is what I'm going to do to correct it. Oh man, when I get to the place where my children correct themselves, and they don't need mom and dad to come alongside of them and correct them every step of the way, we know that we are doing our job. And as we're progressing in our fellowship of the Lord, we don't always need God to be chasing us around with a punishment on our health, or our money, or our relationships. We don't need that. Why? Because God can look down and see that when we step out of bounds, when we do wrong, we're there to catch it ourselves. We're there to self-correct. Boy, this is the process that God wants us to be involved in. Some follow. Notice their conditioning, their self-correction. Out of verse 14, notice their conduct. Their conduct. Look at verse 14. Follow peace. Follow peace with all men. Notice the culture here. And I could have chosen the word culture instead of conduct. Their culture, their peace with all men, and holiness, Without which no man shall see the Lord. What's that mean? That means this is a person who is living a lifestyle where the normalcy is peace and holiness. You know, um, for many Christians, doing right is the exception to the rule, not the rule. Going to church three times a week is the exception to the rule, not the rule. Reading the Bible seven straight days in a week is the exception to the rule, not the rule. Praying for 15 to 30 minutes a day is the exception to the rule, not a rule. And you know, it's a good day when we get to a place where we have a culture in our life of holiness. We have a culture in our life of peace. I I try to live my life in a way where I am at peace in my heart. That way, if I run into someone who isn't at peace then I can bring my peace into their life. And I'm not the contentious one. I have learned that those who are showing contention without are generally dealing with contention within. If I'm at peace within, then guess what? Guess what? That's a sign that I am responding well to the punishment of the Lord. Let's wrap this up. Notice letter B, some fail. Some fail. Boy, an entire sermon could be preached out of letter A and B, but... We'll wrap it up here quickly. Notice their rebellion. Their rebellion. When some people are punished, they rebel. Now, immediately I think of Cain, who was chastised for bringing his works-based salvation of his own work of his own hands uh, to the altar. And God said, no, no, no. Sin lieth at the door. Go get a lamb. And what did Cain do? He said, no. And he killed his brother instead. Some rebel. I think of Saul who was chastised, King Saul, who was chastised of the Lord uh, uh, through the prophet of Samuel, and he still did not ever get it turned around. Their rebellion. Look at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be... Defiled, uh, uh, they, uh, they fail of the grace of God. They fail of the grace of God. Boy, God's grace reaches out to them. God's grace tries to correct them. That failing of the grace of God is failing of God's punishment. It's the rejection of God's punishment. It's the rebellion from God's punishment. And when we rebel from God's punishment... Boy, we're failing the grace, grace of God. Notice there below that, their resentment, their resentment. Let's look at 15 and 16. It says there, Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Look at verse 16. Uh, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. What happened with Esau? He was, he was rebuked by the Lord, and instead of responding properly, He rebelled, and that rebellion led to resentment. Led to resentment. You know, when we reject the punishing hand of God in our life, we do so out of rebellion. And when we rebel, that's going to lead to a resentment to God and other Christians. That's going to bring about that root of bitterness that comes in our heart that causes us to then go out and commit other sins. And I'll wrap it up lastly here. Notice... Their rejection. Look at verse seventeen. For ye you know that afterward, when we would have inherited the blessing, speaking of Esau, he was rejected. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Boy, I don't have time tonight to explain that in its de- in depthness of its meaning, but I'll just say this quickly: Esau committed sin. Esau rejected the punishing hand of God. Esau reached a point. Where he missed out on blessings in his life. And no matter how hard he repented, he was never going to be able to go back and undo the damage. He lost out on what God would have had for him. And it made him a bitter, bitter, bitter person. Now, let me finish with this. Listen closely. Two questions. Number one, are you able to identify when God is punishing you? Are you able to? If not, you need to work on that. Because if he's not punishing you, you're not his child. God punishes his children. It's very clear. Very clear. If he didn't punish you, he's not a father. Are you able to identify when you're being punished? And two, how do you respond when you're being punished? Are you tender-hearted or are you hard-hearted? Well, if you're hard-hearted, you're going to come out like Esau. If you're tender-hearted, you're going to have peace and holiness. Peace and holiness. Well, let's follow. Let's not fail. Let's follow God's punishment. Let's not fail God's punishment. Amen? Let's stand and be dismissed with the word of prayer. And when we get through praying, if you have children in Master Clubs, if you would forego conversation and head straight upstairs for our workers and get your children, the way our workers can, can get home. And then you can converse after that. Let's be dismissed with prayer this evening. Lord, help us tonight to take what we've heard, take these truths, these verses. Lord, help us to be able to identify when we're being punished. Lord, help us to change. Help us to revere you, Lord. Help us to have those fruits of righteousness in our life. From living a living a lifestyle of a child that's been uh, disciplined and acts in a way that's disciplined. Lord, give us a safe ride home tonight. Lord, help us to take these truths to heart. In Jesus' name.